We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. What's good, Knicks Nation? Al Terrace here, a.k.a. the Tratacaster, and we're back again with another Game of the Week preview. This time, we are previewing the New York Knicks at the Boston Celtics at TD Garden, 7.30 p.m. on TNT. So, you know, Chuck and all those guys are going to have some fun stuff to say about the New York Knicks and some very minimal analysis. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to preview this game. And with me today is none other. We got a phenomenal guest, by the way. He's phenomenal. We got a writer for Spot Track, contributor to the Celtics blog, host of the front office show. We got none other than Keith Smith. Keith, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Man, my pleasure. It's great to talk to someone who's been covering the league for so long, has the in-depth knowledge, not only of the Celtics, but the salary cap as well. So we'll try to get a good blend of all those things in this conversation today. But, you know, let's let's get right into it, man. How do you feel about the Boston Celtics this season? You know, and more specifically, they were just coming off a nine-game winning streak, now a two-game losing streak. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's hard to feel anything but good about where they are right now as a team. Even coming off these two losses, you kind of look at it, for whatever reason, Orlando's been a really bad matchup for the Celtics this year. I think the Magic's Mm. size uh, bothers them. They've lost three or four games to to the Magic this year. Uh, So it's just been a weird thing. Every team seems that even the best teams have that bad team that they struggle with. And for the Celtics this year, that's been the Magic. Uh, They lost in Miami. They were missing four of their top six guys. They played really hard, kept it really close, but just couldn't finish it at the end, not the end of the world there. So feeling really good. They, they've had a very road-heavy schedule, second uh, uh, most road games in the NBA of any team. Now they're coming into a point where they're going to play seven of their next eight at home. So that's starting to flip and turn the other way. So feel feel really good about this team. They've, 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 they're not perfect by any means. But they're they're really solid, uh, you know, top to bottom uh, with their roster and the way they play. Do you feel like there's been an edge to the Celtics this season because of how they finished the finals last year? 
I think so. We we get that sometimes, right? I think the example everybody remembers is the Spurs losing that finals to the to the Heat, and then they made it their mission that they were going to get back and finish the job, and and they did. And I think the Celtics, when when given the opportunity to talk about it, they talk about how like it still hurts them that they lost in the finals and to get that close and not be able to finish the job. Like they they're really using that as their motivation all the way through. And for guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who I don't want to say things have come easy to them, but they've had very good starts to their careers. I think what you're seeing with those two guys is you get into a point with, with them is they need something else to drive them. Right. And this is now there's something else is driving them of like, Hey, we want to get back. We want to win this. We want to get banner 18 for Boston. Let's you know, This is it. This is our opportunity here. Absolutely. And you would think that too. And do you think that road has gotten more difficult without Marcus Smart right now? Because he's like, you know, you got Tatum who's in that MVP caliber conversation right now. You know, you got Brown who's been an awesome, I hate saying Robin because he's just so phenomenal in his (laughs) own right. And really he could be a catalyst of his own team if he really wanted to. But between him, between Brown, Tatum, Smart's kind of that glue guy too. And the defensive presence and the leader so far and really really has grown in that point guard presence. Do you feel like his loss has been significant, especially in these last two losses and what they're trying to do right now? It has been there. There's been points in both of those games where things got a little sideways on the team and not having not Marcus Smart and Malcolm Brogdon, that kind of the, the duo of the two, those are the two guys along with Al Horford who will kind of get everybody settled. They'll, Hey, let's all calm down. Take a deep breath. Like we're going to run this. Uh, one of the things Boston loves to do when things get a little sideways is they throw smart down in the post. They'll throw him a touch down there. Often he either gets a score, or creates a good look for somebody else. So that turns into that's not there. And then Brogdon's been a huge stabilizer for them off the bench all season long. So not having those guys has been really, really difficult for them. And that's, We'll see. It sounds like Brogdon should be back sooner rather than later. He's been out for personal reasons. But then Smart, uh, he said yesterday, you know, I don't know, maybe a week, two weeks, I don't know, maybe tomorrow. Like it's he's probably being a little cagey with with the injury, but he didn't look good. He rolled his ankle really pretty good uh, against Toronto uh, last week. So we'll see, you know, where he is. I I don't know that I'd expect him to play, but it's Marcus Smart. It wouldn't surprise me if he is out there playing uh, tomorrow night. Really? So you expect Marcus? There's uh, expectation that Marcus Smart could be back tomorrow. Could be. He could be. I don't think there's an expectation of it, but I don't think anybody's going to be shocked if he is playing. I think it's one of those things where it's you know you just kind of we've learned over the years with Marcus. He's got a little bit of that Wolverine in him, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, all right, it looks like he's done, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, here he comes. He's he I guess he is, and I guess he's just going to play through. Sometimes though, and especially as he's gotten older. He has been a little smarter about like, all right, I don't need to play every single game. Like, let me be smart about this. I think if Brogdon can play, probably best to just leave smart on the show. Maybe, maybe he ends up staying on the bench anyway. Um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if we open the game and he's out there on the floor and just knowing the kind of guy he is. And we are talking to Keith Smith, uh, host of the front office show, contributor to Celtics blog and writer for Spot Track. Make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys. So, Keith, you know, we talked about we talked about uh, Malcolm Brogdon a little bit, you know, as being that secondary point guard on the team, really help bring that calming presence. What have you been? What have you, what have your thoughts have been about him so far for this season on the team? 
Yeah, it's it's what they were missing at times in the finals run last year were if Tatum or Brown didn't have it going, who was going to be that other guy to step forward? And in this year, that's been Brogdon. He's been that guy who repeatedly is very thrown the ball. He's going to get you baskets. He's going to make plays. He's going to do his thing. He holds up really well defensively. He's a little bit bigger than I even thought he was. I'd seen him a lot over the years, but he can really defend a lot of threes, can even hold his own if teams play real small fours. Uh, he's fine. They're willing to leave him out there. They'll switch with him, do a lot of stuff. He's also so good off the ball, and you have to be good away from the ball with Boston because Tatum and Brown are going to have the ball so much. So uh, you need guys when they drive and kick it out, you need somebody who's going to make shots. Cause otherwise we all know how that goes. Those driving kickouts turned mm-hmm. into four shots, right? Cause it's like not kicking it out for that dude to clang another jumper off the rim. Like I'm going to just take it myself. And they, they have a lot of trust in him. He's been, been a really good stabilizing piece for their bench. Sounds great. You know, you need someone like that, especially coming off the bench and that's for the Knicks for a good portion of, the last two years, that's who Derrick Rose has been for us. Unfortunately, he's taken a, a dip in his production this season. But that's been, you know, when I tune in and watch Celtics games, especially since I live in the Boston area when the Knicks aren't playing, you know, I look at Malcolm Brogdon, I just see how he's able to just help galvanize that team, keep that. It's like you don't really miss a beat. You know, he's also mm-hmm. a defensive guard too. So, like, when Marcus Smart is missing, you can have him out there. He seems to be really critical for what the Celtics are doing and especially with this 35-14 record right now, it's been really impressive for Boston. Considering that last season, the question was, do we really need to break up this team? Like, is it going to be <laughs> yeah. Tatum? Is it going to be Brown on this team? Like, who should we go with? So it's really it's really interesting. And it's really cool just to see the Celtics, like, I'm saying cool, even though I'm a Knicks fan. You know, it's just cool <laughs> to see how a team is building and coming so far from from what it was last season. But there is no, there's another guy that was signed, although we haven't seen him yet. Former New York Nick, Gallo, you know? Danil Gallinari, the rooster, as we called him down here. Um, I know he hasn't played yet. What's the expectation for him right now? Yeah, they're they're not really saying anything just other than take your time. He tore that ACL over the summertime. So it was mm-hmm. playing for Italy in the, the world champion or the Euro uh, championships, uh, rather. He that, And that was tough because they were really looking to him to be a guy who could play 25 minutes a night off the bench, play as a big wing or as a you know, stretch four, give us that shooting, scoring, just somebody, again, another piece who could really kind of just keep things moving and just hit open shots, you know, playing off other guys, uh, attack mismatches if teams switched and those kind of things. And they, it's been tough. They, they plugged Sam Hauser in early and he hit every shot he took. Early on, we started using the hashtag, hashtag Housematic, because he was just making everything. And then in the last couple of months, he hasn't made anything. And that's really been a problem to the point where it's, all right, it's, we, we probably need to look at getting another wing just because you don't want to have Tatum and Brown playing 40 minutes a night all the way through the regular season. Gallo just said recently, like, he wants to be back before the end of the season. Mm-hmm. The problem is you're looking at if that happens, even if he's at the extreme early end of the timeline of returning from an ACL, which we're going to see Danny mm-hmm. Green of the Grizzlies come back in about eight months. Mm-hmm. If Gallo could do that, you're talking about, all right, this guy's now going to get in there when we're uh, starting the postseason run. And that's a really hard time to include. You know, hey, you haven't played all season, but jump in for the playoffs. Right. Right? That's really, really difficult. So my guess is we see him next season, and they mm-hmm. just they, they've kind of they, – they, they move forward with, okay, we're writing this off for now. It's not going to be a thing. We're just, you know, you get healthy. We'll see you next fall, and that's where we'll go with this. 
That makes sense. And, you know, you mentioned Tatum and playing close to 40 minutes. You don't want to see Tatum playing close to minute, 40 minutes a night as well as Jalen Brown. But yet that is what we're essentially seeing out of these two, right? We're seeing yeah. them up north close to like 40 minutes per game. Like I think Tatum's averaging like 37 minutes per game right now. And, you know, it seems like he he's not only needed to do that, but he's comfortable doing it because he's in that MVP conversation this season. He seems to continuously take another level and another level. It was like, I remember it was like, oh, well, he's taking too many long twos. You know, he's not driving enough to the basket. You know, where's the playmaking? <laughs> now we're starting to see all that come together. What are your thoughts have been on Jason Tatum this season? Like, is that MVP caliber, like, play been, is it is it hype? Is it just because the Celtics are doing well? Or do you really think he's been that true catalyst for this team right now? Yeah, it's a little chicken or egg, right? It's, it's is he getting the hype because they're doing well? Or are they doing well because he's leading them there? And I think... It's both, right? It's it's he really has lifted that team to a new level, and he's done it because he's lifted his own play to to a new level. You hit on all the things everybody said about this guy for his first few years of, you know, all right, is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? And then every year he comes back and says, yeah, I do that now. Now, now I'm here. And in addition to all his great, you know, offensive qualities, he's an unbelievable defender too. Uh, when he really needs to lock in on a guy, we saw that against Kevin Durant at times last season in the playoffs, they basically said, all right, Tatum, you got him, and you're going to do that. And you're going to have to score 30 points a night for us too. And, and he did. And that's why I think, you know, any MVP uh, consideration he's getting is well-earned. He, he really has been one of the best players in the league uh, this season. It's funny, you know, be, being a Knicks show, you'll appreciate this. I mm. said this to someone the other day is, these guys are starting to play too many Tibbs type minutes for me. <laughs> like, you know, I don't need these guys playing 40, 42 minutes, you know, on a Tuesday game in Charlotte, right. And in, in January, like that can't, we can't be doing that. Like we, we got to knock that down into the you know low to mid thirties at the highest. Cause both Tatum and Brown very openly admitted by the time they get to the finals, they were gassed. They had mm. nothing left in the tank uh, last season. And you don't, that's the goal, right? The goal is, we're going to be back in the finals again uh, with this team. And if that's what the Celtics are saying, then you, you need to make sure they have enough left. My hope is they they just get past this little rough patch with injuries, maybe add one more wing, uh, whether it be through trade or on the bio market, and off we go. Okay. And, you know, you got to look at the, you know, you got to look at, I got to look at the head coach as well, right? Because he's the one that's also putting him in this position and mm -hmm. it's, Talk about the storyline for the Celtics have really has really within a year between last season and this season has been up and down. It's like, oh my goodness, where are the Celtics going last season? Then the before the even the start of the season, you had the Ime Adoka uh controversy, or or you know, there's I still don't know, I still don't have the full grasp of what's happening there. It's kind of feels like there's a lot of moving pieces that are still haven't been revealed yet. But you have the Ime Adoka situation out in Boston. You get Joe Missoula being promoted to being the head coach. People are curious, is Joe Mazzulla going to be able to carry on what Ime Adoka did last season and continue this turnaround? And it seems like it's just been an easy transition for Joe Mazzulla. So what are your thoughts have been on him as well? Yeah, I think what people maybe who don't follow the team that don't know is Joe Mazzulla has been with them for a while. He was a holdover from Brad Stevens' staff. So he had been around for a long time. And he was one of those guys who, when you talk about everybody on that roster, he knows all of them, right? So that, that was not a difficult transition transition for him his transition difficulties have come in 
now he's running the show, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're running the substitution pattern. You're the one who's responsible for it. Celtics fans are all going to nod their head, like calling timeouts because he doesn't always do that. Uh, the, the most he prefers to very much say, I want to let my guys play through it a little bit. But he's been really solid for them. The guys like playing for him. That They are really uh, happy to see him get this opportunity and what was a weird spot. And, you know, it's he, he, he's done really well with it. It's, you know, the, the things that he doesn't do great, I think you'll see improve. I think what we forget sometimes, and I have to remind Celtics fans, hey, a year ago you all wanted Ime Udoka fired because you thought he stunk, is first-time head coaches need time too. It's it's mm-hmm. no real different than a rookie player, right? And, and at 20, I say nobody would want to say that guy's a bust in his rookie year and, and trade him, wave him, cut him, whatever. And I know people do that, right? If a guy comes out game one and stinks, it's like, well, that was a wasted pick. He's terrible. But if you're rational about it, no, he needs time. He's a young kid. Well, it's the same way for the coach too, right? They take a little bit of time to figure that out. And it's funny. Coaches tell you all the time, move him that one seat over on the bench. It's a big, it's a bigger deal than what it looks like, right? It it is a really big deal. And I think Mizzou has done a a dumb better than expected uh, than anybody ever could have expected them to at this point. So, you know, like being a Knicks fan and having to hear, you know, we like the Celtics, we have a large fan base. Tibbs gets a lot of criticism. You talked about, you know, you even mentioned it yourself, the minutes, right? Players playing too many minutes. There comes to, you know, we've asked for staggered rotations. We see it here and there now, but in the past, it hasn't been the thing that Tibbs has usually gone to. Um, and just in-game adjustments. You know, we, we, it's usually he's good with the following game after watching and going through all the film of what changed. And that's another gripe that we have of the coach. What are some gripes that you that I would say fans have of Joe Missoula right now? Uh, two big ones. One is well, three, I'll say. One is he he likes to let the guys play through runs for the right. other team versus using that. timeouts. So that's the number one thing. People get incredibly frustrated with that. It's it's gotten to the point where the other team hits two, three pointers in a row, and everybody's like, Would you call a timeout already? And it's like all right, settle down. It was two possessions, but it, it it has gone a little far. The second is he, I think some of this is the players and building to the personnel, but it, you know, he's obviously put in a system. It can be pretty reliant on three pointers. It's there. There are times when people get very frustrated with, Hey, you know, half the attempts or more coming from outside the arc. So that gets a little tricky. And then the last part of it is it's just the overall you know, why are we still playing player X, right? It's why is this guy for right now that's Sam Hauser? Why is he still in the rotation? Like this guy can't play anymore. Why are you not giving this guy a shot? Why are you not trying these kind of things? And that's typical stuff, right? Of, you know, fans. And I tend to think it's easy. And I, I, like I say, I do this sometimes with other sports uh, that I don't understand as much. I'm like, Oh, it's gotta be the coach. Right. And the reality is it's, it's it's a little bit of all of it, right? And it's I think we blame the coach when we don't we, we don't want to blame the players. As I say all the time, you go and buy the jersey of the player, right? And you're wearing the jersey of the player to the game. No mm-hmm. one's wearing a Joe Missoula jersey to the game. So it's <laughs> you don't want to blame the the, the dude whose name and number are on your back, right? So it's just easy to be like, ah, oh, you know, Missoula can't coach. And that's to me, that just becomes lazy cop-out analysis. But I I'm guilty of it too, and in other things, like where um, you know, this like despite being a kid who grew up in Boston, I'm actually a huge Yankees fan. Mm. And there are times when I am like, good Lord, Aaron Boone, like, what are you doing with this lineup? And then like somebody did, if I ever say it publicly, I'll get people really know baseball, like, Oh, you can't really do that. Cause 
this guy can't bat and that bats ball because he doesn't hit fastball as well. That's all we'll see there. And it's like, oh, all right, I guess I guess he probably does know a little bit more than just me, average fan <laughs> on the side, you know, yelling at the television. Hey, we're all guilty of that, right? We all have some input on how the coach would run a team. <laughs> we're all watching on our couches, chairs, whatever it may be, or at a bar. We we are all uh, susceptible to that to that, you know, coaching from the TV and thinking that we know everything. Look, I, I would, I would be, I'd be pressed to say if I wasn't guilty of that as well. <laughs> yeah. It's part of it. Right. I mean, that's, it's all part of being a fan is, you know, yelling and screaming at all and getting upset. I get but it. At the end, at the end of the day, we just want to see our teams win championships and mm-hmm. be, especially for me as a Knicks fan, you know, it's been, uh, I, I was not around when they won in the seventies. So I'm looking for something, man. I'm just looking for sure. something. And once again, we are talking to Keith Smith. He is, a host of the front office show, contributor to the Celtics blog, which is part of SB Nation, and writer for Spot Track. Now, Keith, let's get into this game preview, all right? Knicks just came off with a, a big win against the Cleveland Cavaliers last night, you know, so we're feeling pretty good uh, because we don't have Mitchell Robinson right now. We're down our top, uh, our, the anchor of our defense, top shot blocker, rim protector. You know, he, the Knicks were leading in second chance opportunities. And that was because of him. He's just uh, an elite offensive rebounder. And so we're missing him. So for us to get the win over the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have Jared Allen, Evan Mobley as their front court, that's just huge for us. So coming into this game, this is another tough matchup. Celtics are number one in the East. You know, you got Tatum, you got Brown. If Smart comes back, you got your big three again, and that's going to be grueling. So for me, this is for the Knicks, you know, this will they will need to play a perfect game in order to keep up with Boston, even with all the injuries that we have, and we can go through all that in a bit. But the one matchup that I'm looking at right now, and you mentioned that he could be returning, uh, you, and you wouldn't be surprised, it's Jalen Brunson versus Marcus Smart. And, and for me, it's because Brunson defensively, he, you know, he's, he's a small point guard. He's not, he's not going to be a lockdown defender. He's, gonna, he's just susceptible to mismatches because of his height. But what he does do is that he can create his own offense, right? Good isolation score. He's a good playmaker. You know, really has catapulted this Knicks team to being really competent and sufficient in the half court because of his, com- his composure, having that experience in the playoffs. So this is the matchup I'm looking, to get, looking at because Marcus Smart, he's a top-tier defender, man. He's a dog. Like, th- there's no better way to describe him. So that's my key matchup going into this game. Would you agree with that? Are you looking at a different matchup? What are your thoughts? Yeah, assuming smart plays, I think that's a good one because it's kind of the the head of the snake for both teams, right? Like it's point of attack guys, you're going at it. I think uh, if smart plays, look for some of those possessions where they put him down in the post against Brunson. I know Tibbs doesn't like to switch, right? It's you, you got to be able to hold your own. I want to, you know, want to, you know, we're going to ice those pick and rolls, but we're not going to be a super switch heavy team where we're going to kind of, you know, you, you got to defend your spot uh, with that. It, it's one of those things where I think it's a lot will depend on who else plays. If Jalen Brown plays, then if Boston is relatively whole, you're going to see someone is going to try to do what they can to get Jalen Brunson on the block and go after him a little bit less. So, but probably some of that with Quentin Grimes too, not a good size for a guard, but he's not Brown Tatum type size guy. If smart doesn't play, I think the key matchup becomes RJ Barrett and Jason Tatum. Um, Barrett has done at times a pretty good job on Tatum defensively. Like Mm -hmm. he does a good job getting up into him. Um, and then there's been other games when they played and it's like, he's not even there and I don't know what's going on with them. So that's where, you know, that's 
I love RJ Barrett, but man, bring the consistency and like the kid's going to be an all-star. It's just this, you know, sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. And that's where it gets a little messy uh, with him. So that's, that's, I, I think the big thing, I think, the biggest thing that'll be is who's healthy for Boston, who actually plays in this game and who doesn't. My guess is probably everybody except for maybe Marcus Smart, but, but we'll see. Okay. Okay. So let's go through that injury. Let's go through the injuries real quick because as of right now, and I'm looking at ESPN's, uh, you know, looking at ESPN right now to see who's in and who's out. Right now you have Marcus Smart who's declared as out. You have Jalen Brown as doubtful or not doubtful day to day. You have Al Horford as day to day. And you also have Malcolm Brogdon as day-to-day as well. So with all those guys, who you're expecting Brown, Horford, and Brogdon to be in tomorrow? Yeah, I would expect um, what Brogdon is, by all accounts, we don't know this for certain because he hasn't, as far as I know, said anything. It sounds like there's a baby on the way. And I don't mm-hmm. know where that is at for him. So we'll see with him. Uh, Brown is... They said they rested him because he woke. He had an adductor injury that kept him out for about a week. Then he came back and played. Then he was a little sore. So they, they held him out against Miami on the back-to-back because he woke up feeling a little sore. My guess is with the day off, he's probably good to go. Horford will be in there. Horford's he doesn't play the second end of back-to-backs now. He's That's the point he's at in his career. He plays the front end, does not play the second end. So he'll definitely be in there. So probably – and smart, we'll see. My guess is probably not just the way that injury looked. Brogdon's a little more up in the air, but I think Brown and Horford will both definitely be out there. Okay, and just looking at this list, and I, and I got to ask because, you know, the Celtics are looking to make that deep playoff run and get back to the championship. Do you expect them to be making any moves by the deadline to improve this roster, especially when you see injuries like this or guys who need some maintenance? Yeah, I think that... They're, they're definitely looking. They're, they're looking at adding a wing. They're looking at adding a big um, if they can, just to kind of have that depth and that just just in case kind of guy there. That doesn't tend to usually come on the, the trade market, though, and that they're kind of limited in what they can deal because any of their significant salaries belong to key rotation guys. So it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like they have, and I'm not picking on Derrick Rose, but the Knicks have Derrick Rose at, you know, 13, 14 million, mm-hmm. not in the rotation. That's you can trade that without subtracting anything mm-hmm. from your roster as far as your rotation goes. Celtics don't have a guy like that in their rotation right in, in their on their roster right now, I should say. So that's a little tricky. It's there's not gonna be any kind of big moves that they make. I think where they'll be more active is on the buyout market. They'll okay. wait and see all right, who pops free. You know, all right, this guy came free and where we can go get him. That that's what I think you're gonna see them do is they'll add another veteran or two, uh, guys who are probably at the phase of their career where if I don't play very much, that's fine. Like another Blake Griffin type who's mm. just kind of on the back of the bench, plays about once a week, and mm-hmm. he's good with that, and off we go. And if they need him, he can play a little bit more. That's probably more what they're looking at. Okay. Okay. And now getting back to this matchup, you know, you, you, you spoke on like RJ and the inconsistency and definitely we saw that. Uh, I see that on a night to night basis, especially the defense. The defense is kind of taking a step back. So when you talk about Tatum and, and RJ, you know, I was at that game, RJ's rookie season where Tatum had that step back baseline jumper. I was in, I was at TD garden. I watched that after Marcus Morris hit that big three. So just don't give me another thing like that because that's how shaky his defense has been this season. <laughs> but his offense, he's now come together. His offense is a little bit more consistent. He's more patient. He's not pressing as much. His playmaking is starting to show up. So I can see how that's going to be a key matchup as well. Um, I'm just curious because for the starting rotation, you know, Quentin Grimes is our best defender. 
I'd probably think, you know, I think height wise, he's going to probably be guarding Jalen Brown just because I think asking, because what is Tatum? Like six eight, right? He's like six eight, six nine. I think I think asking. Yeah, he's, probably, he's six nine, probably closer, really closer to six ten. Wow, that's that's a gap because even, there were some times where we saw Grimes defending Pascal Siakam, and I was like, it's a bit of a stretch. Um, he did he he held his own, but it's it's a lot to ask. So I would expect Grimes to be defending Brown, who I feel like I don't even give enough shine to, man. Uh, uh, who should probably get more shine because. You can even add, you can even throw that in there that he's probably a big reason why Tatum's able to look like an MVP on that team as well. We're talking about uh, our previous our, our earlier talks, but what do you expect from Brown uh, in this game? Because I feel like he usually shows up for all these Knicks games too. Yeah, Jalen Brown, his he used to be kind of like RJ Barrett, where it'd be like, all right, Jalen Brown scored thirty tonight, and then the next night he'd score ten, and it'd be like, all right, that's how we're getting to be a twenty point per game scorer. That feels a little. Not great, right? If you know, it's everybody will tell you, give me 20 every night versus 30 and 10, you know, back to back nights. Like it's just not where you want to be. So I think with Jalen Brown, it is as you look at it, is now he's consistent. He he hits the jump shot, he gets to his spots, he's super patient now when he drives. He doesn't overdrive and you know, kind of go crashing into guys. He he remains, he's he's well. Robert Williams is the best athlete on the team, but Brown's mm. very close second. Um, he's, you know, his straight line speed is unbelievable. And then he can just, he's that guy who you look like, all right, he's going in for a layup. And the next thing you know, he's punching one on you. It's like, oh, mm. I didn't, you know, that, that came at the last second when he kind of got there. He decided, you know, what, I'm going to dunk this. Um, he's, he's tough. I, I think you're right with your matchups. I, I think Grimes will probably check Brown because he used to be with Jason Tatum. You'd put a small guy on him because he could disrupt his dribble, get up in underneath him, and it really bothered him. Now Tatum's tightened up his handle enough. That doesn't necessarily bother him, but what he loves to do is he loves to take smaller guys into the mid-post area, and then he just, without even a dribble, he just turns and shoots over them because they're just they're not going to bother his shot. You've got to have some size and length to get to his jump shot. So that's something they'll they'll seek those matchups out if they can get them in transition or on switches or whatever it is they'll look for those but yeah and it's i'm glad you said that about brown because the way i think of them is i i think of it as they're they're two number ones it's 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 not a one and one a it's not a one and a two it's not a uh you know batman and robin this is more like batman and superman in a lot of ways where it's mm. like you know they're and i'm not saying they are you know that level of guys, you know, necessarily, but that's how it's seen in Boston is like, Hey, these guys are both the guy, maybe Tatum, not maybe Tatum is a little bit further ahead and just, he can do a little bit more in his game. He's a little bit more of a um, consistent, better defender than Brown is Brown picks and chooses the spots on that end of the floor, but they two, two all-star guys, probably two guys that are going to be all NBA level consideration. I mean, that's, you know, in a league where everybody wants good wings, the Celtics have, in my opinion, easily the best wing duo in the league when you factor in the fact For they sure. play most often nights, too. Maybe that could be Kawhi and Paul George, but play more than you know 10 games a season together, and then then we can have that conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, out of, out of the two, I, I've always, you know, I just love basketball in general. And when I watch those two, I always find myself liking Brown more than Tatum. And I think it's just, there's, there's just, there's just something, as you said, like the deception. I feel like I like Brown's deception, like athleticism, how he can play. And to be honest, I also like the way he played in the finals last, last year is that he really, he was, he was top shelf the way he Mm -hmm. was performing. 
you know, in, in a lot of aspects, he was carrying that team too. So really like how he stepped up in that, in that performance. But for me, man, getting back to this game, I'm really more concerned with your play style. You, you know, you talked about launching threes. The Celtics put up their second most in the NBA when it comes to launching threes at about 42 threes per game. Now, you guys are also great percentage rise. You're in the top 10. You're number nine in the NBA with making with the three-point percentage at 37%. As a Knicks fan, especially since Tibbs loves to rely on drop coverage, you know, we've seen it bite us so many times, man. We've just seen it bite us so many times. And that's going to be my biggest question coming to this game is, will Tibbs make that adjustment to stop the three-point launches? Because, you know, you got – we. We get that. We we understand that the the t- it's going to be t- this t- the Knicks love to stop. They love to protect the paint. It's a little bit more difficult without Mitchell Robinson there. Sims is doing a fine job. Harnstein, eh. But teams have been killing us on three, man. And that's where I think this game is really going to come down to is can the Knicks keep up offensively? Because when you have, you know, Brunson, RJ, and Randall hitting from three as well, and it's not as consistent as what the Celtics are doing, then we can have a game. But if we're not going to be hitting our threes and the way we play defense or defending the three, that's how we, that's a major concern for me. So I guess my question for you is, is this three-point percentage number, like, is it inflated because there's just nights where the Celtics are really hot and then really cold, or are they very consistent when it comes to making threes? Yeah, they're, they tend to be more consistent. What happened was they started out and they were making – everything and that was why they were historically good offense to open the season Mm. then where it went after that was it turned into they were just pretty good like just you know average and then they went through a stretch in december where they couldn't make anything and it was really tough and now they're coming back into they're not at the level they were in the first month or so of the year but they're back to hitting at a pretty good clip and that's and what it is, is they create them in a lot of different ways. And why they're so good is they create a lot of wide open ones. Whether it is tacking drop coverage, dribbling directly into them themselves. They've got a whole bunch of guys who can do that. Tatum can do it. Brown can do it. Smart can do it on the nights where he's hitting. Derek White can do it. Brogdon can obviously do it. Even Peyton Pritchard, they'll let him do do that on the nights where he's playing pretty good. Uh, with that, they've got a bunch of guys who can screen to open those shots up. So whether it's Graham Williams, if he's out there, Al Horford is obviously a great screamer, screener. Rob Williams is really tough. Uh, as Williams' gravity increases as he rolls, that just tends to open things up even more at the arc. Uh, they're also really good at driving kick. They, they, they're spacing all year. Even when they're not making their shots, the spacing remains pretty good and solid. So, so their offense is just really tough. It, it's very funny to talk about a Boston-New York matchup where it does feel like whoever is better and can outscore the other one is going to win, which seems weird because these are two teams that over the last few years have been more reliant on their defense. Mm -hmm. But the Celtics defense, it's still good, but it's not what it was. And then when I look at the Knicks, their defense is real, especially over the last like three, four weeks, it's really started to slide. Like they're, they're now at the out of the top 10. I want to say they're like 13th or 14th, uh, depending on which metric you use uh, to, to measure the defensive efficiency. And it's just a little weird where it feels like, man, they became a pretty good offensive team, but all of a sudden now we're sliding that way. So I, I am with you. I think a lot of this probably depends on who's making shots. Say if you're making shots, not, not to go all, uh, what do they call it now? NBA today, uh, make or miss league. Um, you know, like they like to play, but I, I do think that is part of it. It's it's who's making shots is going to be a major say in who wins these games. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's why this three-point shooting is going to be very interesting for me because the Knicks, like, we could score on the paint, but I also look at the Celtics' length, right, the versatility of this team. You guys got Robert Williams, Al Horford, Tatum. Like, those three alone, that's protecting the paint pretty well. And, you know, sure, Randall. Randall's really good when it comes to, to contact, when he gets down on the block and he wants to be physical. RJ can be physical as well when it comes to driving. But it comes back to Brunson, man. And Brunson has continued to impress the way he's able to use his footwork, create separation, you know, 15 feet or in from around the basket. So I expect him to get his, but more so on him is like, you got you got Marcus Smart who's going to be on you if he's back. And then you got to go into a wall uh, of defenders. So that's why this three-point shooting, you know, if, if we can get a replicate, like, uh, a repl- like something similar to what we got yesterday from Randall, it's definitely going to help us a lot. But, you know, there's another part of this game, too, that we got to discuss, and that's the bench, all right? And interesting, interestingly enough, this used to be the Knicks' strength. Now it is not. We are 26 uh, in the NBA when it comes to points off the bench, but the Celtics are not that far ahead. They're the 20th. So the bench is, even though it's, I would say, a little bit more well-rounded right now than what the Knicks have, we're not that far apart for our bench units. So... Give me a little bit of, uh, give me some of your thoughts about the bench and, you know, especially with Missoula's strategy, because earlier in the show, you mentioned how you don't want to be playing Tatum and Brown that many minutes. He kind of can go that direction too. And you want to see them not have to do that because as you also said, they were gassed by the finals last season. So do you think, do you see, how, how do you, how does Missoula plan to utilize this bench? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, assuming he plays, you can pencil Malcolm Brogdon in for probably 15 to 20 points. That's generally what he gives them. Mm-hmm. And part of the Celtics bench struggles is that's the only guy you know for certain is going to give you a bench mm. production as far as scoring goes. So he gets the bulk of it. Grant Williams comes down to, is he taking shots? Because if he's taking shots, he generally hits at a pretty good clip. But there's every once in a while he goes through these weird stretches where it's just like he won't shoot. It's like he doesn't doesn't feel like he's open enough or he's like, I'm going to drive every close out instead of just taking the shot and those kind of things. Uh, it will, will they, the bench has been weird because they haven't had Robert Williams for a large chunk of the year. Then when they got it back, Jalen Brown went out for a brief period of time and they've just been in a weird spot. If they've got their guys, you know, then Peyton Pritchard will probably play some if smart is out. It's again, highly relying on, is he making his shots? If he's making his shots, which he tends to do at a pretty high rate in Boston, um, that'll be a lift. They can get anything out of Sam Hauser. That's another lift. But the problem is he's just not doing anything right now. He's just been completely gone missing. I mean, this guy was shooting like 50% in the first two months. And now he's down like under 30. So it's like, and he's he's very he holds up better defensively than I think he gets that typical like oh he's a slow white shooter like so we can attack him on defense he actually holds up okay um defensive but holding up okay while shooting 50 percent is great we'll all live with that holding up okay on defense while shooting 30 percent from three not good get him out of the lineup so we'll see what happens I, I you know they're Joe Missoula is kind of mixing and matching right now a little bit one thing you'll see is to close the first quarter and probably the third quarter will be Jalen Brown with 
three mm. or four reserves. And then to open the, the second and fourth quarters is Jason Tatum, usually with three or four reserves, depending on how many guys deep uh, Missoula goes. He'll play Luke Cornette. We'll get in the mix there, especially where the Knicks almost always have two bigs on the floor. Boston will probably match with, with that. I don't think they'll go small all that much uh, in this game. I think you'll see you know, Rob and Horford play a lot. Grant Williams will play a lot with each of those two guys. Cornette will get in the mix uh, with them. He's uh, he's not what he was with the Knicks. Cornette doesn't do the three-point bombing anymore like <laughs> the old days. He's mostly playing around the basket. Um, but he's been really good for the Celtics. As far as the fourth big goes, can't ask for a whole lot more. He's been productive as a screen setter and a role man. Uh, and, and he's, his uh, defense has been okay. I don't know if you've picked up. He, you watch enough of the Celtics. He does that goofy, they call it the Cornette contest now, oh, where grief. you know you match him up against like Julius Randle, and he doesn't close out, but instead he jumps straight up from you know 20 feet away and yeah. he does it to try to block. And it's the numbers show you it's been fairly you know effective, but a guy like Randle who can actually put the ball on the floor. He'll catch him with that probably a couple times where he'll he'll throw the fake. Cornette will will do the contest, and then next thing you know, he's driving because he didn't actually come out and close out or get in his way at all. So that becomes a little little odd. But yeah, I mean the bench is good. Their bench is solid, but it doesn't they don't necessarily always produce in ways in terms of points scored and those kind of things. They ask those guys to do a lot of other stuff instead. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Julius, I hope you're hearing this, man, because if Luke Cornett is out there <laughs> and he's getting, he's jumping in the air, you better give that pump fake an attack, man. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. 
you know, it, everything that you talked about for the Celtics bench kind of r- rings true for what how the Knicks have been operating off their bench. You know, our guy that's been pretty consistent since he's been back on the bench is Emmanuel Quickly. You know, when Brunson was out during the last week of December, Quickly was a starter, and it kind of helped him getting those extended minutes helped him get back into rhythm. Now he's shooting well. You know, we're able to see him attack the paint more. He's utilizing that floater, drawing fouls. His playmaking is up. So the, that aspect, like when you, who's the most reliable guy? For you, it's Malcolm Brogdon. For us, it's Emmanuel Quickly. And the question is, will everyone else, you know, fill in and contribute? You know, Miles McBride, I'm not going to lie, last night he shocked me by the way he attacked the basket. I've never seen him attack the basket so aggressively. He's usually very passive. He did it once. I was shook, to be honest with you. So... <laughs> If he can, if he can replicate that type of intensity, because on defense he's going to be a hound. So I already know what we're going to get out of him. You know, Isaiah Hartenstein. He had a solid game last night. Had the big play against Donovan Mitchell, just being a wall to stop Mitchell from driving the paint, getting a game tying bucket. So it'll be. Let's see. I want to see from Hartenstein if he can give us some consistent games because he really hasn't been utilized as the way we want him to see, like being a passing big, scoring. Tibbs has been treating him like he's, you know, like a Mitchell Robinson or a Jericho Sims as being this rim protector, which last night he showed it, <laughs> you know, uh, that was shocking. But he, that's not really, I feel like, who his entire game is. Even though, he th- even though he said that he can do those things, I see him more as like on the offensive side, and I'm hoping to get a little bit more of that because we saw four assists from him last night, and I'd hope he can continue that going into this game because we're going to need as, me- as much playmaking as possible to go against the Celtics. And then... Got to ask you about this guy because you tweeted about it earlier this week when the Knicks played the Raptors. Obi Toppin, it seems like he's getting his legs back. Even in your tweet, which I'm going to read word for word for Toronto, New York Knicks thoughts. I don't know, Raptors, whatever. You confuse me. Boucher is way up there for most confusing Raptor. I agree with that. This was a game to try Randall Toppin front court. I 100% agree with that. At least a little. Obi was cooking. And then the last one, as we already touched on, was next up for RJ's finding consistency. He could be an all-star if he does. So we touched on RJ. Let's get to that Obi Toppin thing because you saw him cooking. You watched that game. You, you said you could see the Randall Toppin front court. We've seen a little bit of that this season. What are your thoughts on Obi Toppin, and, and what did you see from him that game and, and overall? Yeah, he – I love – the energy he plays with. Um, we talked about it with Jalen Brown, that straight line drive speed straight down the court. Like he has that. He's got that athleticism to get up, um, you know, and do a lot of things around the basket area. You can give them that vertical spacing. I really, it's funny because I said this to somebody and then I said it like a few games later. I was like, Mitchell Robinson is out. Maybe we'll see some top and a Randall. And I was like, no, that's on me for being the idiot. Like that's just never, I just feel like it's never going to happen. Right. I just say it's for whatever reason, Tibbs doesn't like it and doesn't want to do it, but there's certain games where I feel like that's the one to do it. Right. Like, like that Toronto game, they play a whole bunch of dudes that are the exact same size. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't necessarily need to have Jericho Sims out there. I want to say that night he played like 25 minutes and that's not a knock on Jericho Sims. I think, you know, he's done well. And I kind of agree with starting him just to leave everybody else in their roles. Mm -hmm. But I I think the idea is I would just like to see on the nights when Toppin is hitting his jumpers, he's playing with energy, he's doing stuff on the glass. Those are the nights to say, all right, you know what? Instead of going back to Sims for the second rotation, you stay out there, Toppin. You're going to stay. Julius Randle's going to come in and I'll figure it out. 
you know, with it, you know, fine, Tommy, you slide over and play a little bit at a little bit at the five. Maybe Randall will play you a little bit at the five. Whatever it is, you you can you can get into that. But it's, it just seems like he's destined to Julius Randall plays 38 minutes and he's gonna play his 10. And that's life. That's just how it's gonna be. And it's it's tough because I think he can do more. I think he can really help this team. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things he can do. I just want to see see it and there's those games where it's like this is the night and the Celtics are another team they they're not gonna put a ton of rim pressure on you where you have to be super worried about it and here's the thing too is if all of a sudden you're playing Toppin and Randall and Boston gets downhill for three straight layups fine yank them out and say see this is and then say hey idiots like Keith Smith this is why I don't do it right because it, it becomes this kind of mess and then all right, I get it. I can't really counter, but man, I, I like it. I, it's it's funny when I look at the Knicks roster. There's a lot of guys I really like. Emmanuel Quickly is one of my favorite players in the league. Mm. Loved him coming into the draft. I have this thing for tough little guards. I love the fact that he got on the boards at Kentucky um, yep. as a little guard. You know, he's only about six foot three or so. He could shoot. I, I'd like to see him get a little more consistent with the shooting. Um, it's it's been a little odd. I thought thought he might develop a little bit more into being a point guard instead of an off ball guy, but it's fine. You know, he'll carve out a very long uh, productive career with that. I, I do like, um, I like Jalen Brunson a lot. Again, tough, small guard. Like he can, he was just going to give you everything he has, but I really love Obi Toppin, man. I would just, it just feels like every time he gets in the game, good stuff happens. And then it yep. lasts for five minutes, a half, and then you don't see it again. And that's for me, that's just not enough. And, and you know what? I, I I sent out a tweet saying, you know, it's just watching him come back off an of injury. Maybe it's a little bit of, you know, uh, how he's trying to get comfortable back on the court because of his leg injury. I think also it's part of it, like how is the coach utilizing him and thinking of how to get him engaged in some of these games. But you know what? Since playing against Toronto, it seems like he's found his confidence again between playing Toronto and Cleveland these last two games through 21 minutes combined. He has 25 points. He is shooting <laughs> six of eight from downtown. You know, he went one uh, one for two from the free throw line. Uh, he's what? He got nine for, let me do so, nine for 13 from the field. Like, he is just efficient once he gets on the on the court. He's got you one assist, one steal, and four rebounds during that time. I would like to see him do more on the rebound, on the boards, but you can only do so much when you're out there for 10 and 11 minutes. So, yep. I, I understand that. But... Yeah, he's I, just such it, an impactful player. I just want to see more of him as well. Being part of the OB Hive myself. <laughs> and I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but for me, it's like I want to stop talking about him as one of the most productive per minute players because let's just let him be a productive player, yeah. right? Because some of that per minute production will slide down a little bit because I think part of it is he knows I'm going to play five, six minutes per half, so I'm going to go hard. In my mm-hmm. five or six minutes, I'm going to sprint the floor. I'm going to sprint to my spots. I'm going to, you know, crash it hard to the rim and those kind of things. And that'll change a little bit. If he did turn into a 25 minute a night guy, that'll change into a little of like, all right, we, you can't go that hard all the time because you just, you don't have that kind of energy built up. But I just feel like it's, you know, let, let's see, you know, because I think there's just something more there that he can really help that team with. And he just, you know, it kills me that he doesn't get the opportunity. Absolutely. And I look at him as like how he helped last night being so hyper efficient in his minutes. I look at him being that pivotal contributor next to Emmanuel quickly for this Knicks Celtics matchup. You know, if you get quickly going and you get top and going, I, I think it's going to be a, it'll be a tough, a, a tough matchup uh, for the Celtics. But 
Like you also mentioned, you know, you talked about the staggering of like Tatum, Brown, and all those guys with the second unit. And that's what the Knicks do as well. That's why it's so fascinating how similar it is between the Knicks and the Celtics where, you know, we'll be either RJ Barrett. Sometimes you'll have Brunson and Randall out there with some of those guys. Like they really try to mix and match or even sometimes Grimes with the second unit. Sometimes it like, that's where I'll say like Tibbs has improved as coaching, like figuring out how to stagger these minutes. But I also mm-hmm. think it's out of necessity as well, because those are your top three scores, you know, quickly can give you some scoring topic could be hyper efficient when he's on. But if you need some consistency, it's going to be between our big three or everyone likes to joke the mid three, but <laughs> that's where most of the scoring comes from. So sure. Keith, you know, thank you again for coming on the show. Let's wrap this thing up by giving our score predictions for this game. So what do you got going? I'll let the guests go first and what, how he thinks this game is going to turn out. Hmm. Tough. Cause I think it will be higher scoring than what yeah. we maybe think. I think Boston's going to, they haven't been home in a week and they haven't been home a lot in the last like month. So I think they're going to really get a big lift from the crowd. I think they'll be mostly healthy. So I'm going to say Celtics say something in the 115 to probably like 108 range. I think, I think they'll win, but I think it'll be close. I think the next thing, it seems like these teams generally play close game. It feels like they either play really close games or just massive blowouts. You know, and it's it's not close, but I I think this will be close. I think the Knicks will keep it close, but but Celtics in the end outscore them, hit a few more shots, and that's how they win. I think this is going to be a close one, to be honest with you. I do agree that it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be a close one. It will come down to who makes the defensive stop when needed. Um, so I'm going to go with I'm a, you're choosing Celtics. I got to choose my Knicks, man. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I would hope. Uh, I got to go one. I think it's going to be a little higher score than we expect. I think it's going to be like a one seventeen one. 14 affair Knicks going going out there. I feel like something it's you're right because it's either both teams show up or no one sh- or like one of the teams don't show up at all. I feel like with the Knicks coming off this big win against Cleveland, I would hope that they have some sort of confidence going into this one. I I, I don't know about the defense for this one uh, just because like last week, you know, just to give you some numbers, <laughs> you know, we had, uh, you know, even though this game went to overtime, 123-121, loss to the Raptors, 116-105, loss to the Wizards, 139-124, loss to the Atlanta Hawks, 125-116, loss to the, to the Raptors again. Now, it was a lower scoring affair for this one, but 105-103, so I agree that's going to be in triple digits. This is how the NBA is going this season, but yeah. I think it's going to be closer to the games that we saw previously just because I think this is going to be a little bit more of a difficult matchup uh, defensively. For, for then, now that we've said that, it's going to be like the Celtics-Knicks games I grew up on as a kid. Oh, good Lord. 95-90 rock fight. Oh, no my goodness. And make a jump shot. And it'll be like, what happened here? Like, what, you know, well, why is no one making shots? And I, I, I don't think it'll be, you know, guys getting dropped on the paint with, uh, you know, and then laughed at as they, you know, picked themselves up with blood pouring out of their noses and stuff. But, <laughs> hey, 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 that's not the NBA anymore. But, you know, just now that we picked, both picked a uh, high-scoring game, we probably won't be. It's just how it goes, right? <laughs> Oh, that, that's usually how it goes. And I, I think I'm going to be at this game too. So I'll, I'll be there in person. So hopefully it's not a, a, a brick affair. Hopefully it's some <laughs> good offense, good pace to the game. Hopefully no uh, refs want to just make the show up for themselves because yes. that's another issue. Yeah. 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 Nobody wants that. Nobody, nobody, if we want to watch a free throw shooting contest, we'll go down to the CYO on a Saturday and watch the, the kids shoot free throws. <laughs> nobody wants that in an NBA game. Let the players decide it. We don't need any of that, all right? We don't need any of that. But, Keith, 
thank you again for coming on to the show. Please let our listeners know where they can find all your work and if you got anything coming up. You can find me at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Uh, pretty easy handle there. Everything I write, and uh, you can find that if for some reason you're really looking for Celtics coverage, and you may be after uh, they they play the Knicks here. Uh, I do a thing after every single game called Ten Takeaways, where I break down film clips and just things from that game. Uh, that'll be up on Celtics Blog the morning after the game. Uh, if you're looking for salary cap and roster type stuff, a lot of stuff, a lot of trade deadline coverage coming over at Spot Track, and then uh, if you uh, like listening here front office show trevor lane and i record that uh three to five times a week depending on what's going on um, we talk all the latest news and notes all around the nba right now super busy with all the trade rumors and all that sort of stuff more on a um salary cap roster building bend to it but we spend a lot of time on the league as a whole keith thank you once again for coming on and make sure to go check out keith's work he does a phenomenal job uh especially when it comes to like the salary cap i've been following you for a minute man as i told you off off air you know, when I first got into, you know, trying to become a writer, content creator, covering the NBA and specifically the Knicks, always went, always read your stuff to just get some sort of understanding of how the cap works. And you do, you always do a phenomenal job breaking it down, man. And I know I'm going to put you on the spot right now before I fully close this out. If the Knicks were to trade for Russell Westbrook and then cut him, how much would there be in like dead cap? Because I know my guy CP wants to know that. I know it's right off the top of your head. I know. It's, oh, like it's, if they traded for him right now? Yeah, if they traded like for him right now. Before the trade deadline and then just waived him? Yeah. It'd be the full amount. It'd be his full salary. So 44 million or whatever. Good grief. Change. So yeah, yeah. It would, uh, that would probably not be the best move <laughs> for, <laughs> for the Knicks unless, unless you're getting some draft pick compensation to do that to help out the Lakers for some reason. And would and would that money also roll over into next season as no. well, or is that just nope. that was just be for be, this season? It'd be it'd be rest of this year. It'd be be on the books for the rest of this year, and off you'd go. But presumably, it'd be keep them pretty even because you'd have to send out a good chunk of change to get up to matching salary. So you're probably sending out Fournier and other contracts just to even get close to the range to make that type of trade. But yeah, do you need the full amount? But that'd be it to be this year. Cause there, you wouldn't stretch them. There'd be no reason to do that. So just eat it all in one hit and go, but, but you better be getting paid uh, pretty healthy in a form of a draft pick or two. If, if that's where you're going as, as an explorer saying that Russ, has played very well and has adapted to that six-man role well. Mm -hmm. But as I consistently say, he adapted to the six-man role playing with LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> Derrick Rose made that transition, right? He made that late career transition to, yep. hey, I'll be a six-man. He probably added five years to his career by mm -hmm. making that transition. Maybe Russ is making it, but it's a little easier to do it when you're playing with LeBron and the Lakers than it would be anywhere else. So that's just, you know, that as an aside. That is a fact. And you see that? Asked him on the spot. No preparation whatsoever. <laughs> Just broke down the entire Russell Westbrook if the Knicks were to trade for him situation with the salary cap. That's why you got to go check out Keith's work. So, Knicks Nation, thank you once again for tuning in. Make sure to hit that thumbs up button for your boys. Make sure to share these audio and podcasts wherever you may be listening to. You know, we're on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, all of that. We're, we're located all over there. We're on YouTube. Make sure to check out all of our work as well. Make sure to support the channel. We're closing in on 60,000 subscribers, so make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already, especially if you just tuned in, you're not a subscriber, and you like this content. And also make sure to check out KnicksFanTV.com, okay, where you can find Remy's recaps after the games. We got other great writers over there, too, contributing. So make sure to check out KnicksFanTV.com, Knicks Nation. Make sure to tune in to Knicks Fan TV post-game after the Knicks play the Celtics. You know, CP and JD will be covering that game right afterwards. 
And thank you for tuning in once again. All right, we out.